Funding for this class is provided by Benjamin Arieh and family in loving memory of Raphael, son of Chacham Rabbi Chia. Tonight is the eve of the 9th of Kislev, which is the birthday and the yard site of the second Lubavitcher Rebbe, the ear of the, the son, the eldest son, and the second Rebbe after the Alter Rebbe, the author of the Tanya and the Code of Jewish Law, um, Rabbi Dov Ber, who was born the year after the Alter Rebbe's Rebbe passed away, Rabbi Dov Ber, and he named him after his Rebbe and master and teacher, the Magid. And uh, 54 years later, he passed away on his, on his birthday, like Moshe passed away on his birthday. Only the rarest of tzaddikim, the holiest of tzaddikim, the greatest of tzaddikim, which shows that they're whole, how whole and complete they are. Um, it says if you would cut the, his son-in-law and the third Lubavitcher Rebbe and his nephew, the Tzamech Tzedek said about him that if you would cut his veins, not blood, blood wouldn't flow, Hasidus would flow. In other words, he was so unified, his, his, his understanding and his depth, he would learn something until it became so much a part of his blood, so much a part of him, that it became inseparable from him. He understood it so clear and so deep and so his understanding was so profound and um, so and his generation his Hasidim were also that way two Hasidim would meet they wouldn't talk about current events they wouldn't talk about the elections they would talk about deep concepts and Hasidus <laughs> the deepest concepts and Hasidus that was the vernacular that was the currency so it's a very auspicious day and we're learning about the blessings of the Torah page 8 and the reason why this is part of the Siddur, part of prayer, which is service, is firstly to remind us that for a Jew, studying Torah is a religious activity. We don't just study Torah because it's interesting, fascinating, intriguing. Uh, we study Torah because it's godly. It's part of our, the way we serve Hashem by studying Torah. And also... You can't have prayer without Torah. Torah also influences our prayer because prayer should really be a non-verbal activity. You're praying, you're trying to experience, you're trying to feel a love for Hashem, a, a sense of awe of Hashem. So you're trying to go beyond words. You're trying to go lift yourself above your ego and your ego mind and words, you're trying to sense the godly, be in awe of the godly. So the idea of prayer should really be something that, that, that's really beyond words. And yet the whole idea of Torah is, we study Torah, Torah is brought down in language, in words, even though Torah is inherently, essentially infinite and godly. And yet we bring the Torah down into language, into human language, into words. So we see the influence of Torah and prayer, that prayer also, we're trying to capture something that's really infinite, something that's really beyond words, but we're trying to capture it in words. 
It's like, it's like the poetry of life. These are words that singe into your soul. These are words that, 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 that uh, you know, that these are soulful words. Prayer are meant to be soulful words, words that, are, that put your soul, set your soul on fire. These are words that capture emotions that are really essentially beyond words. So that's the influence you see of, of studying Torah on prayer. The prayer also must be in words. If you don't pray verbally, if you just have sentiments, sentimentality, and you just feel the experience and close your eyes and try to reach a place and meditate and reach a place that's beyond ego and beyond words, you haven't fulfilled the mitzvah of prayer. You have to bring the prayer down. You have to capture the prayer in words, in language. Because only then does the prayer actually change you. Otherwise, it's just escapism. You're going on a vacation, you're going to a different realm, a different dimension, a dimension that's beyond ego, beyond words. It's very nice, but it has zero impact and zero influence on your personal, natural life. When you go back to your real self, it's like two different universes, like you're going on a trip. And then you come back and you're back to your, you revert to your old self. In order for prayer to have an impact on your daily life, the rest of the day, when you're done with prayer, the experience of prayer has to be captured in words. So it's very much influenced by the Torah. And so much of prayer is we quote verses from the Torah because we're trying to capture the infinite and trying to capture it in language. So... We have the three blessings of the prayer. And the question is asked, why do we make? We also find that even though we make these three blessings, when a person is called up to the Torah, but you make one blessing, the third blessing here, which is the third blessing, when we called up to the Torah, you make one blessing before you called up, and then you make a blessing after you called up to the Torah, when you conclude the Torah. So the question is, why... Don't we make that doesn't the individual who makes a blessing before every morning or before you start studying Torah, you should also make a blessing afterwards. When you're done studying Torah, you should make a blessing. Yet we don't make a blessing after. When you're called up to the Torah in public, you make a blessing after. But in private, the individual who makes a blessing in the morning before you start studying Torah, you don't make a blessing when you're done. Rashi explains, he says, because you don't find anywhere that you make a blessing after you've done the mitzvah. When you finish the mitzvah, you don't make a blessing, especially since there's no end to the study of Torah. You're obligated to study Torah every waking moment, every opportunity that you have. So there's no fixed time to study Torah. So how could you make a blessing? What do you mean you finish? You never finish. You're never done with studying Torah. There's no after. Torah is like our life. Torah is compared to like breathing, the air that you breathe, or like a fish in water, the famous analogy of Rabbi Akiva. You can't live, survive without Torah. So there's no finish, there's no ending. It's not like it comes to an end. Maybe a mitzvah can come to an end, but not Torah. The reason we make a blessing after you called up to the Torah in public is because that's a fixed Enactment. You read the Torah, you read a certain Torah portion, you read a certain amount of verses. So you've done the mitzvah and you make the blessing at the beginning and you make the blessing at the end. But the individual who's studying Torah is obligated to study Torah each and every day. The mitzvah never ends. But there is actually 
the Levush, who wrote basically like a code of Jewish law with reasons, and he explains that actually the reason why we have three blessings in the morning for the mitzvah of studying Torah, although a mitzvah only has one blessing, a single blessing, so he says the reason is because one blessing we're making for the Torah that we studied yesterday. Because every day is like an independent mitzvah. Every day you have to make a new blessing. So yesterday I finished studying Torah. Now you can't make the blessing when you're going to sleep because as long as you're awake, you have a mitzvah to think Torah. As you're falling asleep, you're still fulfilling the mitzvah of learning Torah. But the next day after you wake up, now you can make a blessing for finishing the Torah for the previous day. And now we're making a new blessing. I'm making a blessing for the mitzvah of studying Torah today, which is a new mitzvah, it's a new day, it's a new, a new obligation. Let's learn inside, let's learn the blessings. So the first blessing, Baruch HaToh Hashem, blessed are you Hashem, Melekeinu Melech our God, King of the Universe, Asher Kedoshonu B'mitzvah you sanctified us with your mitzvah, V'tzivonu al divrei Torah, and you commanded us concerning words of Torah. We say words of Torah because the main mitzvah of studying Torah is to verbally say the words of Torah. If you think, if you wake up in the morning and you're thinking Torah, you're not obligated to, do, to make a blessing because you're not really fulfilling the mitzvah of studying Torah. You truly fulfill the mitzvah of studying Torah when you verbally say, say the words of Torah. And that's the ideal way of fulfilling, even if you're learning alone, it says you should verbalize, say the words. Say the words out loud, say the words. Why is that so key? Why is that so important? After Rebbe explains, he says, you have a flame. But in order to fan the flame, you have to blow on the coal. He says, every Jew deep down inside has like a coal, it's like a flame. You have a flaming love for Hashem. But the coal, the fire could be dim. In order to fan the flame, when you say the words of Torah, it's like blowing, it's blowing ear. The words are formulated with the ear. So when you're saying the words of the Torah, you're fanning the flames, you're revealing and exposing this flame. So the importance of saying the words of Torah, that's the mitzvah, and um, because the words of Torah have the power to fan the flames of a Jew's natural, innate, inherent love for Hashem, to really bring it out into the open. And that's the power of Torah. It says when a Jew studies Torah, you have the power to strengthen it. It strengthens your godly soul, and it weakens your animal soul. A dual effect. It simultaneously strengthens anything that's good and godly and wholesome inside of you. It helps it emerge, just like when you speak. You speak, it emerges, it, you bring it out into the open. That's the nature of speech. So when you speak the words of Torah, you're bringing out into the open everything that's godly and good and wholesome. Your neshama comes out into the open until it becomes a roaring flame, a mighty force in your life. On the other hand, at the same time, simultaneously, the Torah has the power to weaken. Weaken your coarseness, your crassness, the raw ego nature, the excessive arrogance and ego. It has the power to weaken it and to dampen it. That's the power of Torah. Simultaneously. Just like when Hashem took the Jews out of Egypt, at that moment, simultaneously, two th- opposites happened. 
the Jews were redeemed and Paro and the firstborn were crushed. Egypt was crushed. That's the power of Torah. That's the nature of Torah, which is godly and divine, that it has the power. And that's why you have to speak the words of Torah. A, for the godly soul, just like words reveal and bring out into the open. So you want to fan the flame and bring out into the open the godly, the godliness. And that was the power of the rabbis, the Torah Shabalpeh. They had the power of the mouth. They had the power to expound on the Torah, to verbalize the Torah, to create all this language, this Torah language, this holy language, which has the ability to fan the flame, this innate, innate, inherent, natural love that every Jew is born with, but to really make it a vibrant force in your life. And at the same time, you also have to speak in order to soften the opposition, to soften the arrogance, the ego, which words... speech is is a function of the body. When you're tired and you're exhausted, you can barely speak. You don't have the energy to speak. You can still think, because thought is a spiritual activity. But speech is a physical activity. You have to move your lips. It's only when you eat, and you eat well, and you have strength, you have energy, then you can speak. So by speaking, you're using the body and the energies of the body, and the more energy you pour into the Torah, As it says, when you pour every fiber of your being and every bone in your body into the Torah, you're putting all your physical energy, the energy that you got from exercising and from eating and from eating well and healthy and you feel energized. And you take that energy and put it into the Torah. So you're weakening. You're weakening the animal soul. You're weakening the arrogance, the opposition. So simultaneously, the word, the speech, the words of Torah, speaking Torah, has this double effect on the person. A positive for the godly soul and a negative for the, for, the, for the animal soul. That's the first blessing. And then we start the second blessing according to the others like we discussed last week. It's a continuation of the first blessing. And we say a prayer. Vaharevna, please, Hashem, make the teachings of your Torah, make it sweet, make it pleasant in our mouth. Yes, studying Torah is a religious obligation. But we ask Hashem that the studying of Torah should be sweet. The studying of Torah has to, be, has to engage a person. You have to enjoy it. You have to find the sweetness in learning Torah. You should look forward to learn Torah. You should get into it. You should enjoy it. Then the learning is a whole different level. If it's just a religious duty and religious obligation and you discipline yourself and you force yourself to learn but your heart is not into it and your pleasure is not into it, you don't find it sweet, you find it difficult, it's not going to be the same level of learning. To truly learn, you have to engage your mind. To truly engage your mind, you have to find it enjoyable. You have to find a sweetness in the Torah. You have to enjoy learning Torah. You have to get into it with your mind, with your will, with your pleasure, your whole being, and the more pleasurable it is, the deeper you get into the subject and the more you absorb the Torah. The whole mitzvah of Torah is to absorb the Torah. That you should internalize the Torah. You should make sense to you. You should become one with it. The sweeter it is, the more you find sweetness in the Torah, the deeper you get into it, the more pleasure you find in it, then the deeper you go the more you internalize it, the more you absorb it, until it becomes inseparable from you. If you learn something that you enjoy, and the whole experience is an experience of joy, you won't forget it. 
you'll remember it, you'll absorb it, you'll, you'll, it becomes inseparable, becomes a part of you, it comes alive to you. But if you force yourself to learn, and it's a holy activity, with the emphasis on holy, you feel it's holy, you feel like it's, you don't really understand it, you don't really enjoy it, you don't find pleasure in it, you're just fulfilling a duty, an obligation, then it, it goes contrary to what Torah is. Torah has to become one with you. Torah, you have to learn, you have to understand, you have to enjoy, and the more you enjoy it, the deeper you'll understand it, the more you'll absorb it, the more you'll retain it, the more you'll remember it, the more alive it will be in you. So we ask Hashem a prayer, Vaharevna, to be sweet. Because we don't always find the sweetness in Torah. Sometimes we don't, many times we don't understand the Torah properly. And if we don't understand it properly, if you learn it superficially, then you don't find the sweetness. You just mull through it and you force yourself through it, but then it's painful. So we ask Hashem, please help me find the sweetness in the Torah. In our mouth, we be called Amcha Beis Yisrael, and in the mouth of the, the entire Jewish people. And our children, not only our children, including our grandchildren, because we have a special responsibility. A person has a special obligation to teach your children. It says in the Shema, we have an obligation to teach our children. And it also includes our grandchildren. So we have a biblical obligation to teach Torah to our children and to our grandchildren, to see that they're learning Torah and studying Torah. And the Talmud also says, a knot that's tied, a rope that's tied with three strings, it will hold on. If you find Torah, three generations of Jews studying Torah, the grandfather, the father, and the, and the, and the grandson, all studying Torah, engaged in Torah, finding the sweetness in the Torah, then the Torah will last. The Torah will remain permanently in that family. So we ask Hashem that not only we should study Torah, it's a prayer for the future, our children and our grandchildren, and every Jew is also, every Torah scholar also has a responsibility to teach every Jewish child. Because the teachers are called parents, spiritual parents, spiritual fathers. And the students are called children, spiritual children. Like we find by Moshe. It says these are the children of Moshe and Aaron. And he lists the sons of Aaron. How do you call the children of Aaron the sons of Moshe? Because he taught them Torah. Because he taught them Torah. So the fa- he's called a father. And the, children, the students are called children. So we have an obligation. The Torah says, teach your children in a broader sense. This is the responsibility for every Torah scholar to teach every Jewish child, his potential student. So you have to make sure that, so we pray to Hashem, we ask that not only our, I should study Torah, my children should study Torah, my grandchildren should study Torah, my family, but I, I have a responsibility and I pray that every, the children of the entire Jewish people, should also be engaged in studying Torah and should find the Torah sweet. Yes, it's very important to remember that studying Torah is divine, it's godly. It's not just an intellectual exercise. You know, like a person could find mathematics very sweet and the person could find studying physics very sweet or studying pure science, theoretical science very sweet. 
studying Torah is godly, like we discussed at great length last week. And how do we know that it's godly? That you're ready to study Torah even beyond your nature. As we find the famous story in the Talmud, Abachanidim ben Tradian, the father of Beruria, the father-in-law of Rabbi Meir, his famous wife, Beruria, is very wise and very scholarly. And Abachanidim ben Tradian was one of the, one of the uh, ten martyrs who the Romans murdered and died sanctifying Hashem's name. So Rabbi Yosef ben Kismet says, meets his colleague, and he sees that he's teaching Torah in public. And he says, I don't understand. The Romans just said that it's forbidden to teach Torah in public. They quarantined everyone. They shut down all the synagogues and all the houses of study and the yeshivat. And at the pain of death, if they catch you teaching Torah in public, you're going to die. So what are you doing? So Rabbi Hanina ben Tradin responded and he said, God will help. Rabbi Yisim and Kismas says, I am, I am telling you something that's reasonable. What are you answering me that God will help? That's not an answer. I'm asking you. You're acting reckless. You're acting irresponsible. Why are you teaching Torah in public when the, when the Roman authorities forbid it? And then he changed subject. He said, let me ask you, since you're telling me that I'm going to die, do I have a shear in the world to come? So Rabbi Yisim and Kisma says, you know, it's a good question. Tell me, do you have any good deeds? Do you ever do anything good in your life? <laughs> so he says, yes. I remember last Purim, a Jew is obligated on Purim. There are four mitzvot the Jew is obligated on Purim. You have to hear the Megillah. You have to give, uh, exchange uh, food items with your friend, two food items. Uh, you have to give tzedakah to the poor, matanas levienim, and you have to eat and feast and drink and put them. So I set aside money to give to the poor, and I set aside money for the meal. When the poor person came knocking on my door, by mistake, I took the money that I set aside for the meal and I gave it to the poor person. So although by right I could have said, and said, wait a minute, I gave him the wrong from the wrong money, and I could have repaid myself, the money that I set aside for the poor, used that for the meal. Instead, I said, you know what? I gave that money also to the poor. The, the, more, the money that I designated and that I set aside to the poor, I, I even gave away that money also to the poor. And I used other money to, for the meal. Shabbat Yisrael says, ooh, if that's the case, you have a share in the world to come. And the Talmud concludes, very shortly after, Nebuchadnezzar ben Tadim was caught by the Roman authorities and he was burned to death with, his, with the Torah scroll. He was burned to death, burned to death, cruelly burned to death. And the whole story that he asked the legionnaire to remove the Torah scroll so he should die quickly and, he says, and he's promised him a share in the world to come and he removed the Torah scroll and he jumped into the fire but this is the story. A very strange story in the Talmud. Very puzzling. What's Rabbi Hanidim and Tradian's question? Do I have a shear in the world to come? If he doesn't have a shear in the world to come, his whole life was studying Torah and teaching Torah, and he was martyred because he taught Torah in public, defied the authorities. If he doesn't have a shear in the world to come, who exactly does have a shear in the world to come? What's the question? And instead of Rabbi Yosef and Kismet just dismissing him and saying, are you ridiculous? What kind of, what kind of question is that? You're the, the greatest rabbi in our generation. Of course you have a share in the world to come. 
What does he ask him? Do you have any good deeds? Did you, did you do anything in your life? And he, he has to think of Purim, and he gave money, the money that he set aside for the meal. Instead, he gave away to the, uh, to the poor, and he, and he added that to the money that he set aside to the poor. What's going on? How do you understand this? The Altar Rebbe explains. Rabbi Hanina ben Tradian was not certain that he had a shear in the world to come. He wasn't sure that his motivation for studying Torah was purely godly. Maybe there was an ego motivation. Just like we find even amongst non-Jews who are not motivated, don't have any godly motivation. There are people by nature who are bookworms, there are people by nature who are introverts. There are people by nature, Aristotle was a nephew to the emperor. He gave up, he gave up wealth, he gave up power, he gave up politics, he didn't care about that. He was a person of the mind. He gave up everything to teach and to write and to think, philosophy. There are people who give up their lives, think tanks, professors. They don't care about money. Theoretical scientists, they don't care about money. They don't care about indulgence. They don't care about material power. It's not what drives them. It's not what, it's not what motivates them. You have people who by nature are extroverted. They could be brilliant minds, but they just don't have the zitzflesh. They, they don't have the interest to sit and read all day and to think all day and to study all day. They are business people and they are politicians and, you know, outgoing. Versus people by nature just love to study all day. Give them a good book and you won't find them for, 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 for the next two days. That's what they live for. They entertain themselves. They find social life a distraction. And that's their motivation. There's nothing holy or godly about it. So just because you see a rabbi or a shishiva dedicated his life to learn Torah, loves learning, loves reading, is knowledgeable, loves to teach, how do, how do I know for certain that the motivation is godly? When he asked, do I have a share in the world to come? He, he, he says, I can't assess myself honestly. I need someone objective to tell me honestly, is my motivation pure? Is it purely godly? Or maybe I enjoy learning and teaching. I just enjoy it. So Rabbi Yisrael Kisma says, it's a good question. Tell me something about yourself. So he told him the story of Purim. What do we see from the story of Purim? People who by nature are introverted are conservative, are very exacting. Everything has to be perfect, everything has to be exact, everything has to fit. Versus a person who's extroverted is very flexible, is not so exact, is more liberal. So the conservative thing to do would be say, listen, everything is calculated. I set aside money to give to the poor. I set aside money for my meal and to get drunk and to drink. By mistake, I used the money that I set aside from my own meal to the poor. So now I have a right to take the money, to repay myself from the money that I set aside for the poor. To repay myself. I didn't do that. He took that money and he also gave that away to the poor, which tells me that by nature he was an extra. So what motivated him to dedicate his life to study Torah? To put his nose in the books, to study Torah 24-7? It wasn't because of his ego nature. It was purely because, of, because it's religious, it's divine, it's godly. And that's why he dedicated his life to study and to teach. So he says, if that's the case, 
Now I know that all your learning of Torah and your studying of Torah and the way you spend your life is really, you had a pure motivation and therefore you have a share in the world to come. So there's no question that the motivation to study Torah has to be, it's a religious duty, an obligation, and it's godly. But nevertheless, it does not mean that you don't enjoy it. The studying of Torah itself has to be enjoyable. It has to be sweet. You have to be into it. It has to be, you have to study Torah with enthusiasm, with passion. You have to be alive when you study Torah. You can't just study Torah like a yoke with a yoke on your head. Like you force yourself and you really have no choice and it's a duty and uh, you beer and grin and you just do what you have to do. Force yourself. No. Yes, that's the underlying motivation. But ultimately the studying of Torah itself has to be sweet. You have to enjoy it and you have to do it with enthusiasm. So that's the prayer we ask Hashem that we should find the studying of Torah sweet. And then he says, We should know your name. We should also study the inner parts of the Torah. The Torah is all filled with Hashem's name. The Torah is godly. We should realize when we study Torah, we should connect with the name of Hashem. We should find the name of Hashem in the Torah. We should know Hashem. We should know His name. Studying Torah has to be we should all, shouldn't just study the body of the Torah. We should also study the soul of the Torah. We should discover and learn the godly part of the Torah. We should know your name. We should study Torah for its own sake. What does that mean, studying Torah for its own sake? It can mean many things. There are many levels of studying Torah. One level of studying Torah is because it's a mitzvah. God commanded me, it's my religious duty, religious obligation. God commands me, and therefore I'm studying it in order to fulfill this commandment, to fulfill Hashem's wish. On a deeper level, I study Torah Lishma, means what's the ultimate purpose of studying Torah? I study Torah in order to know what is Hashem's will. The Torah tells me there are 613 mitzvot. Hashem gives me 613. This is what Hashem wants me to do. But the only way for me to know exactly what Hashem wants me to do is by studying His Torah. So I'm studying Torah, and the purpose and the goal of my studying Torah is to genuinely discover what's the Torah saying. What does Hashem really want of me? What does Hashem really expect of me? I can study Torah to show how brilliant I am, to say a nice pilpul, to show a nice chap, to show a nice, uh, a nice insight that I can say, a nice uh, twist, to, sh- to, pr- to show myself, express myself, self-expression. But then I may twist the truth of the Torah. But when you're studying Torah, because I want to know what does the Torah say? Torah is Hashem. Torah is Hashem speaking. When you come to a rabbi to ask him what's his opinion, for all due respect to the rabbi, I couldn't care less what the rabbi thinks. I'm coming to the rabbi to ask the rabbi, what does Hashem say? Even Moshe himself. I'm sure Moshe's personal opinion would be fascinating. But that's not why I'm coming to Moshe. I'm coming to Moshe to tell me, what does Hashem say? Because I believe in the Torah. I believe that Hashem says everything in this Torah. 
All the guidance that we need in our life is found in the Torah. It's all there. Now, it's written cryptically. I have to learn it properly to really find out exactly what is Hashem really saying here. What does Hashem really want? So I study Torah honestly, lishma, for the sake of knowing Hashem's will. And therefore, that's the most important thing to me. It's not to be innovative for the sake of being innovative, to make an innovation in the Torah. No, my goal is to understand the Torah and to understand it in depth and to, under- to genuinely understand what is Hashem truly saying here? What, what's the emiss? What's the truth? And I'll break my head. And I'll cry to Hashem, please help me, help me. And that's what we're praying here. We're asking Hashem to help me, to help me study Torah Lishma, to help me be honest, that my, my learning of Torah should be fruitful, that I should be able to find the emes, find the truth. What is Hashem really saying? And you need special help from Hashem to be able to get to that truth. As we say, we conclude the blessing, Baruch Atah Hashem, blessed are you Hashem, HaMalami Torah Lam Yisrael, Hashem is teaching us Torah, because you need help from Hashem to be able to get to the truth. What's the Torah truly saying? Not what I am saying. Not what I want to say. I have to get the I out of the picture. I have to get the ego out of the picture. I have to remove my ego. It's Lishma for the sake of Hashem. Not, it's not about me. I have to get my, my, remove my ego. And I have to try to find the truth. What is Hashem really saying here? And we ask Hashem and we bless Hashem for teaching us Torah, for Hashem guiding us on the true path that we should be able to zero in on what's Hashem's will, what's Hashem truly saying, what's Hashem expressing, what's Hashem's guidance for us in this, in this situation. And we know that rabbis, true rabbis, who are accepted by the Jewish people throughout the generations, have a certain help from Hashem to be able to find and to always hit it on the nail, to be able to come to halacha, to be able to come to the truth. What does Hashem want of us? How should we behave? What is the Torah telling us? What is the bottom line? What's the conclusion? What's the guidance, the practical guidance, the practical application? What's the emes? What does Hashem truly want? And you need special help to be able to come to that truth. The famous story of the uh, Noida Yehuda, Rabbi Cheskel Landa, lived in the times of the Balshemta, was actually a relative of the Balshemta. His wife was a relative of the Balshemta. And uh, he was the youngest rabbi in Prague. He was accepted as rabbi in Prague, and they tested him. And he got everything right, except one thing he got wrong. And he explained. He says, you know why I got this question wrong? Because I'm certain this question is not a relevant question. It says a rabbi has help from Hashem that he should always come to the right conclusion. He should figure out exactly what Hashem really wants. It's not always obvious. But he has special help from Hashem. So all the questions that you asked me had help from Hashem to come to the truth. This question... It's a theoretical question. 
Hashem is not obligated to make a miracle that I should be able to figure out the truth in this case. So this case, I didn't have his help. He didn't, he's not obligated to help me in every case. But when, when it's practical and it's relevant and it affects a practical application and a Jew is going to behave accordingly, Hashem is going to make sure to help me to find the truth. Uh, there was a story that Samach Tzedek, third Lubavitcher Rebbe, you know, many of the questions in the olden days in the shtetl was, is the animal kosher or not kosher? Because it was a year saving to save up to, to buy an animal. And when you slaughter the animal, you're going to live off that meat for a long time. And if, God forbid, the animal is not kosher, <laughs> it's a disaster, it's a tragedy. It's like, it's like going bankrupt. So the rabbi would, would be up all night and try to figure out to see if there's a way to, it is kosher. And uh, they slaughtered an animal in the rabbi's house. And there was a rabbi in Lubavitch. There was a rabbi. The Samad Tzedek wasn't the rabbi. He was the rabbi. He was a rabbi. He used to bring all these questions. And the rabbi said that it's not kosher. And it was a big tragedy. It was a, it was a big purchase. You know, the rabbis in the rabbi's house, they weren't wealthy. They didn't live like wealthy, uh, affluent. And it was a big deal to lose this animal. And the Samad Tzedek was there. And he, he based on, you know, looked at the, at the case, looked at the animal, looked at what they were looking at, and he says, I think it's kosher. And he starts arguing with the rabbi. <laughs> and he starts bringing proofs from the Talmud, and from here, and from there, and from the Rishenim, and Achreinim, and, you know, <laughs> the rabbi is arguing with the rabbi, <laughs> and he overwhelmed them with all his proofs. <laughs> and the rabbi finally banged his, head, banged his hand on the table. He says, I am the rabbi in town, and I'm telling you, the animal is not kosher. And he storms out of the house. And when he left, the Tzedek turned to his sons and he says, you think the petach, you think that fool is not right? He's right. And he took out, he took out a, a book and he showed them that the rabbi, even without him knowing it, he wasn't the greatest, he wasn't on the level of a Torah scholar as the Rebbe, but he had the help of Hashem and a rabbi has the help of Hashem to find the right answer. So we ask Hashem and we thank Hashem for teaching us Torah. A, that every day we have new insights in Torah. Hashem is constantly teaching us Torah. Every day we learn, the mitzvah of learning Torah is that every day you learn something new. That's the difference between Torah and prayer. Prayer, every day is the same prayer. But Torah, you can't just review. You don't fulfill the mitzvah of learning Torah if every day you're just reviewing things that you already learned before. Every day you have to advance, you have to learn something new. So we thank Hashem for teaching us Torah. Every day and having new insights, a deeper understanding, a fresh understanding, a deeper insight. And, we, and also we thank Hashem for guiding us in the right path. So that's one level of learning Torah Lishma. And a deeper level of turning Torah Lishma, the ultimate level is... As Alter Rebbe says in Tanya, in the fifth chapter, we're not learning Torah to figure out what Hashem's will is, how to fulfill all the 613 mitzvahs. We're learning Torah because that's what Hashem does. We're doing the same thing that Hashem does. What occupies Hashem? What's Hashem engaged in? Hashem is engaged and occupied in studying Torah. Torah precedes the world. The way Hashem is for Himself, Hashem is learning Torah. This is what Hashem is learning. This is what engages and occupies Hashem. So a Jew studies Torah. When we absorb the Torah, internalize the Torah, learn the Torah, which is Hashem's mind, 
we are engaged in the very same thing Hashem is engaged in, and we become intimate with Hashem. Because our mind fuses and becomes one, a fusion between our mind, our finite mind, with the infinite mind of Hashem. It's a fusion of the finite and the infinite. That's what drives a Jew. That's what motivates a Jew. I'm studying Torah in order to become intimate with Hashem. There is no other activity in the universe. There is no other possibility for us, a finite human being, by studying the words and the language of the Torah and the ideas of the Torah, which are all encompassed and enclosed in things that our human mind, we can wrap our human mind around these ideas, whether it's a, we're studying civil laws, studying uh, marital law, anything in the Torah, and the stories in the Torah, the laws of the Torah, these are all things that we can wrap our mind around. So when we study these laws, and we wrap our mind around these laws and absorb these laws and understand it, our mind fuses, becomes one and inseparable with the infinite mind of Hashem. So what drives and motivates my studying of Torah is the godly aspect. That I'm studying the same thing that Hashem is studying. So that's what it means, lishma. There's nothing practical. Not that I'm studying Torah to fulfill a mitzvah. Not that I'm studying Torah because in order to fulfill all 613 mitzvot, I have to learn, I, have to, I can't be ignorant. I have to learn to know exactly what Hashem wants of me, what Hashem expects of me. No, studying Torah for Torah's sake. Even things that are not practical at all, have no practical ap- uh, applicability. Just pure theoretical, just studying Torah. The Talmud many times discusses things that are so far-fetched and so that will never happen, could never happen. We're studying Torah because we're thinking, we want to know how Hashem thinks. We want to know how Hashem looks at things. We want to know how Hashem wa- decides what Hashem what, what Hashem thinks and how Hashem is thinking and what He thinks and what He says and what He wants. So this is studying Torah Lishma, just to become intimate with Hashem for the sake of Torah. No ulterior motive. Not even a holy ulterior motive. Just studying Torah for the sake of studying Torah as an end in itself. Just like His intimacy is an end in itself, so we study Torah to be intimate with Hashem. It's an end in itself. I don't need any other purpose. Just to relish studying Torah, just for the sake of studying Torah. Mm-hmm.